listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Which, for the record, Actually, is what I'm doing. Yeah, okay, so check this out. Actually, did you know that the first Thanksgiving... Oh, shoot. They had... <laughs> you almost pulled everything down. I did, wow. Okay, but for real, the first Thanksgiving, what they had to eat was seal, lobster, deer, and fish. Well, I get the lobster, fish, and deer. Where the heck did the seals come from? The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, son. They, they were just catching yes. seals. Free, yeah, I mean, what are you going to eat in this in the sea? You're freaking floating over from Britain. So I guess. Do, well, man? here's the bigger question. I'm not so sure that like where are seals like located in the ocean? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which ocean? There are lots of them, the and Pacific. not all of them. I mean, the Atlantic. I, saying, <laughs> I think I do think they're in the Pacific. I don't know if they are in the Atlantic. Okay. That's because the pilgrims ate them all for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I am out of my depth on this. All right, I'm Googling where seals are native to, because I'm not so sure it's the Pacific, the Atlantic Northeast. Yeah, they used to make, like, they used to make clothes and stuff out of seals. Did they? Friggin', they used seal fat for lanterns. Because it burns long. I thought that was whale blood. Yeah, I thought that it's was probably whales. both. It's both. Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> you're yeah. welcome, Michael. <laughs> All right. That's, that's a, what you call a cold open. Yeah, that's a great way to open up. Welcome to the Uloft podcast. My name is Michael Bond, and I am here with three distinguished gentlemen. Wait, are, before we do that, are you going to go kill the cow yourself for the steaks? <laughs> I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to go kill a cow. And I'm make, so I said earlier, I'm making, a, I'm making steaks for Thanksgiving because I'm a real American. And that's what got us into this conversation. Because right, then I talked about hunting your own food, which is <laughs> yeah. what I'm doing. That's You're not gonna, true. My mom probably got a turkey from I'm going to go hunt in the great forests of Wally World. Yeah. I tried to get a turkey this year, not a success, uh, which was kind of unfortunate. It, so, says, it says the only living relative of the seal is a walrus. Except for there are seals. Well, that's a lie. Because yeah, there are seals, seals all over the place. No, no, no. no, 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 no. That's what I'm, what I'm saying is like, you know, like dogs so, and wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here with seals and walruses. Oh, real fast. Walrus Why I. is walrus? No, no, no. Okay, this. on a real, very real thing. So the plural of cactus is cacti, right? Yes. Walry. Why is walrus not walry? <laughs> like I saw a herd of walry descending off the tundra. Sounds way better than I saw a herd of walruses so this is, descending off the tundra. Sometimes I think scientists do things to make other people look stupid. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> For the record, we're talking about worship today, which has nothing to do with anything we're well, talking when about. I, Michael hasn't even got to his open yet. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> when, I, when I talk about, when I say like, oh, I'm going to volunteer in youth today, for the plural, I say yai. <laughs> like, going to oh, volunteer for the yai today? For the yai. But youth. No, it's youths. Youths. The youths. The youths. With a Z. Yeah. I don't youths. like it, though. I don't, it makes me what feel. What about deers? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Hi, Michael. Go ahead. I am here with two pastors and one marine biologist. I'll leave it up to you to guess who's who. Uh, okay, so we are going to talk about worship today. And that's great because all three of these guys have experience in worship. One of them is a former bass player. Wow. We, we haven't told you yet, Josh, but I'm no, I'm you might be next. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Just play. 
All right. Uh, okay. Wait, I feel like I missed something. No, no, no. Inside no. Not everybody, everybody <laughs> missed something. Just Josh is always terrified of that. We're going to tell him he can't play bass anymore. No. No. <laughs> I'm not terrified. Yeah. Yeah. He's not. No one's terrified. Sure, we're convincing. We're so brave that we will hunt seals with our bare hands uh, and deer. Except for we won't because that's kind of frowned upon these days. Deer. Yeah. Seal. No, seal hunting. Ah, well. Besai hunting. <laughs> Let's bring it back. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about worship. And wait, wait, this is the ULOF podcast. This is you I never think, got I, there. Yeah, yet. we didn't do that yet. Oh, yeah, this is the ULOF podcast. Um, this is a podcast that's part of the ministry of United, which happens right now uh, at Summit Church every Tuesday, 7 27 p.m. If you're listening to this this week, which is the week of uh, Monday, November 22nd, Thanksgiving will, week, Thanksgiving week, also known as Thanksgiving week, um, <laughs> we will not be having United this week, but we will start up again next week, which is the 20, which is everybody's pulling 30th. out their calendars the right now. It is the 30th. Yeah. Yes. So if you listen to this before the 30th, you should definitely come out and join us for that. Is it going to be posted before the 30th? Michael. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> I am fast, quick, and efficient. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what, what are the best and worst parts about living through the golden age of worship music? And first of all, do you agree we're in a golden age of worship music? I think we are. And the reason why I think we are is because worship music gets far more attention online than even like the best preachers. Okay, so, so I would think? like to default to Caleb because we come from currently different backgrounds with uh, with music, I guess, with music yeah. within the church. You, I mean, you know, sometimes we, you will sing the doxology a cappella, and I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think what? we're we're, <laughs> um, I think we're in a not the a golden age, right? So um, yes, that's true that. There are, I don't, what's the stairs for? I'm confused. Uh, right where <laughs> I, th oh, okay. Uh, I think we're in a golden age in the sense that you're right. Like worship music is um, accepted broadly, even outside of the church. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the standard for what makes it a golden age. I think what makes uh, worship a golden age is when the musical, the musicality is of such high caliber that others recognize it, but the biblical confessions made in it are just as profound, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's both of those, right? So when the musicality is so good that people of not even within worship communities can recognize how wonderfully mm -hmm. crafted it is, and it's so biblically profound that you can't help but know, come to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of it, right? When everything in the song is biblically there's a biblical illusion points to Jesus and helps you connect with God, right? Cause there's a lot of worship that either is really crappy musically, but it's great. Biblically might be really great musically and is crappy. Biblically, basically every song from 2009 to 2015 was that fine. <laughs> musically <laughs> talked to, you know, <laughs> it was like the, the Christian love. We, I literally had a radio podcast when I was at Messiah, um, where we would interview the biblical, Bible professors, and we'd play like eight second segments of songs, 10 second segments of songs, and we'd have them guess if it was a current pop love song, mm -hmm. like a T Swift song or like a Hillsong mm -hmm. song from 2010. Um, 
And it was really hard to tell the difference, right? Because they very rarely mentioned Jesus. They very rarely mentioned God. They just talked about he in the grand sense of things. And it's like, well, are you talking about Jimmy down the street or God, right? It's like hard to tell. <laughs> um, so it's when both of those things pair up. And I think we are in a golden age right now. But um, Franny Crosby in the 1800s would say, boy, she is probably in a golden age, right? You yeah. look at those hymns. At that time, that was the most musically gifted stuff that was coming out. Yeah. And that is some of the most biblically profound and sound things that you ever hear, right? So we, I, I think there's different epochs, multiple golden ages of what it is. This is the current form. Yeah, I would agree with you in that because I was thinking even like the Renaissance period. I mean, many composers yeah. were like, were Christians and yeah. they might not have put words in there specifically, but that was still worship and praise yeah. is composing these unbelievable symphonies and that is the cutting edge. But I'm right with you in that uh, you said 2009 to 15 was void of some lyrics, some great lyrical content. Yeah. I would say the... <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. Of my head, but, but I would also say the 80s to about the 2000s were very void of great musical content. Yeah. Content. And it was just, let's regurgitate the things that Open we've been doing for 80 years. Yeah. Or let's regurgitate something that we've heard on the radio um, to try to emulate. Yeah. And um, so I think there was a lot of that going on. I would say, yes, there are multiple golden ages of worship music. Um and I know you didn't really ask this question yet, but uh, maybe we can get into it later, um, is that I don't know that we're in a golden age of worship leading, though. So mm, where you would say, yeah. where you just said, well, lyrical content and like he, you know, you you sing to he. We've had this conversation about a song that we sing at United called yeah. You, It's Only You. We haven't sang it in a while, but um, You, It's Only You. And then we actually sing a new song now that's oddly enough, titled You. Uh, right. Yeah. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but um, they're alluding to Christ. They're alluding right. to God. Um, and you made a comment like you could sing that song literally about anybody, yep. um, especially you. It's only you. You could make it a, make it a love song. Um, but what I would say is that if we were in a better age of worship leading, that worship leader would set up the context of the song and of who it is you are singing to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think even if you have songs that lyrically they are not necessarily completely ambiguous, yeah. but they they shade towards the gray area. I think if you have a proper worship leader and you have someone yeah. who actually knows what they're doing and they're not just a really good karaoke singer, um, then they can they can give context to that song and it not just be let's just sing this song because it's right. fun and poppy and right. Well, and ideally. You want high musically gifted music with deep biblical illusion and wording um, and a great worship leader, right? That's the trifecta. You want, you want all three of this. So, so for example, um, one of the songs that we do here at United that I think is just the pinnacle right now of um, musicality and biblical connections and illusion is Highlands, Song of mm. Ascent. Yeah. Uh, is that Hillsong? Elevation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Hillsong. Hillsong. Is it Hillsong? Okay, Hillsong, right? Um, that is the, every line in that song is a reference to scripture. Mm -hmm. Every line. Um, the whole, the name of it itself is literally taken out of the Psalms. Yeah. Where it says, this is a Psalm of David, a Song of Ascent, right? It's literally yeah. what it's referencing to. So it's like this, it's well-crafted musically, right? Is it not? You guys are it more is. musically yeah, yeah, talented yeah. than yeah. I am. And it's got this deep biblical connection. That's what we want, right? So think back to when the Protestant church first started, all of their music was just sung psalms, mm -hmm. 
right? In fact, you can find Protestant churches that are out there. There is like really conservative forms of Protestant uh, Presbyterian churches that do, do this, that. where all they do is they preach the word, they pray, and they sing songs a cappella because they don't have music to go with it. Mm -hmm. But you know, five hundred years ago, they did have music. It's like because they know because the, the they know themselves that the words that they are speaking are right. Mm -hmm. Right? What if you were worshiping with a song that wasn't right? Yeah, I think well, we have a lot of people who don't know if that song is right or not. And I think like right. So that's so, the other thing. So it's if like, we look you at don't a know golden your Bible. age of worship, like the golden age of worship music. Yes, it is here. The golden age of, um, and that, so, and that's to say that worship music is a genre, which by the way, right. not to get off on a tangent, worship is not a genre. Um, church music would be a genre. I would right. say yeah. worship therefore is not a genre. Um, so if we say we're in the golden age of church music, that would be the case as yeah. far as like what's being written. We're on the cutting edge there. There are people, there are churches and musicians that are playing on good morning America and winning Grammys and winning grant, like, cause they are that good. Yeah. And so we are absolutely on the cutting edge of that, which thank God. Cause I lived in the nineties in the church and it was <laughs> terrible, but um, you know, so we have that, but the problem is that we have, I would say we're not in the golden age of worship yeah. because we have so many illiterate, uh, illiterate followers of Christ, which I am not, I'm saying there are many times when I'm illiterate as yeah. a follower of Christ. There's many times when I'm biblically illiterate as a worship leader, or I might say something that sounds good and feels good, but isn't necessarily true. Um, so I'm putting myself in that category as well. I would say that we're not quite in the golden, golden age of worship, worship leading, leading well, yes. or even, or even worshiping in the room. So, well, and that's, that's why I said it's a trifecta, right? Because <laughs> even if you have these music that in and of itself is so biblically sound and astute, if the people don't in, in the room themselves don't know those scriptures, it's still not going to make a lot of sense to them. I still believe that the scripture always never comes back void, right? Regardless. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why fantastic worship leaders are so necessary to be able to look, take a song like Highlands and say, um, this is how this plays out in the scriptures. Like you may not recognize that this is scripture, but this is how this works, mm -hmm. right? This is why we're singing these things. And that's why it's necessary to have all three, mm -hmm. I think, because it makes it so much more complete and whole um, worship experience for everyone who's there. Yeah, for so, sure. So the more biblically illiterate your congregation, the higher the likelihood the illusions are going to break down and Correct. that you need to be more explicit. So maybe- And that's the case choose, with hymns too, right? Like- we love to go back to, people love to go back to hymns and say, man, these are like the greatest things. They're so theologically profound. And it's like, yeah, but if your church people don't connect, make the alle yeah. like um, allegories and, and connections and allusions, it still doesn't yeah. matter. What does it mean to lift my Ebenezer, Caleb? Yeah, That's which what I know. is a reference back to when <laughs> Israel would make these Ebenezer statues as a remembrance to say where God had brought them far. Yeah, from. it's good. I th <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to think the Ebenezer was like a cup, and we were raising oh, yeah. it together. Or I always thought it had something it to do with Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas <laughs> Carol. Because that's the only Ebenezer I knew was Ebenezer there, Scrooge. There's a line in a hymn, and I can't remember what the hymn is right now, but uh, David Crowder redid it, and it says, As I raise my Ebenezer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, it doesn't matter if you're illiterate or not, because... I mean, when I'm growing up, I'm like, what the heck? So guess what happens at that moment? It's come thou fountain. Worship, the way. yeah, come thou fountain. Worship is gone. 
at that moment, like in my mind, like when I was, you know, I was young yeah. and I'm singing that song. You I'm got like, distracted. What the heck does that mean? Like, I don't even know. Yeah. Also, what does fount even mean? Come now fount. I don't even, what are those words? And so because I don't have an understanding and rich context of the Bible yeah. and the worship leader is not telling me or the pastor is not telling me yeah. this is what this refers to. My worship immediately stops like hmm. on the internal. It, yeah. It's over. If I got to think about that and I have no context and the, and nobody puts it into context for me. Yep. I mean, that's the difference between, and, and you split it up earlier between actual worship music and in Christian music, because in regards to Christian music, I think of torn wells. I think he, he's phenomenal. Like he's amazing. Yeah, that's the Christian but Michael Jackson. He, wait, 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 wait. I have no idea that. who that is. What? He's, I'm he's not even Christ joking. He Whoa. is the Christian torn Michael Jackson. Wells, I can't stand pop music. And his it. last album, uh, "Citizen of Heaven." Yes, golly, dude! I have no idea. If who you is. if you want to <laughs> if you want to listen to some fresh Michael Jackson music, that's what it is. It's good, but Christian, it's, yes, yeah. and it's that good. It Interesting. like it's unbelievable. So, anyway, sorry. So he does have songs, and he does a lot with elevation. He does have songs that you could sing in church. However, I think, and I would make the argument that we are in the golden age of Christian music. Whether you want to play Spotify and call it worship music because you can worship to this type of music, mm -hmm. but also context is key in every situation. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. Um, so you, it's only you like, yeah, we play it in church, but that's also one of those like songs that just anyone could listen to. And then Caleb, like, yeah. Oh, is this a Taylor Swift song or not? So, <laughs> okay. So we've, we've stumbled on what might be a potential problem about living in the golden age of Christian music. And it is that a, a golden age, Thank which you. we have established for <laughs> not a capital T. Okay. Okay. So like, do you agree that biblical literacy is prerequisite to effective worship? No. Whether it's coming from the worship leader or whether it's coming or, oh, or whether yes. it's coming from, from the, the leader. Ground. So from I would actually say I would I know it sounds like I'm going against what I just said, but no in levels is what I would say. Like it depends. Because someone who comes in to a service or to a um comes into a service or for the first time, let's just say for the first time or the first time in a long time or whatever, um, and they encounter a living God that they've never encountered before. And they are met with this unbelievable sense of who God is in that moment. If they are confessing how great God is, or even in their hearts are believing how great God is, that's worship. And does that require biblical literacy for them? No, it does not. However, that take that same person, they come back five years later, they've gone to church this whole time. They come back five years later and they are still in the exact same spot and don't know anything about the character of God. And nothing new has been revealed to them because they haven't been searching the Bible. They haven't been taught. They don't have any context on who he is. Then I would say no. Like I would say that biblical liter illiteracy has affected their ability to worship then because a word, because I, I shared this actually at our uh, service between our services the other day um, is that, Praise is expressing thanks, gratitude to God for what he's done. Anybody can do that. You don't have to have a relationship with him. Like, wow, look at that sunrise. Boom, that's praise. You didn't even know it. Okay. Um, then worship 
requires an intimacy with God or a recognizing of who he is. Worship is more declaring of who God is, his character, his nature, coming face to face with his nature and his character, bowing down before him in that. Bowing and humbling yourself is a posture of worship. Raising your hands, clapping, shouting is a posture of praise. And so I believe that people can come in with not knowing the Bible whatsoever, and they can be met with... with uh, they can be met with truth within a song or within a sermon and then immediately worship. It doesn't have to be in the, it doesn't have to be in the um, song part, the song portion of a service. So that's why I would say with levels, no, it doesn't matter. But yes, it does. The longer you are a Christian, the more sanctified you are as you go to glory and glory or go through glory and glory. I think you need to have a deeper understanding of who God is. Okay. So I have a question and then a proposition. The question is, Ooh. When you experience that moment of communion with God in the midst of worship, even if you're theologically illiterate, like we're talking about, that sense of his nature, that sense of awe and majesty, and that sense to want to bow down and, and, and worship or praise, how do you delineate between that and the emotional catharsis that happens at like a concert, uh, that a, like a secular concert? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the question. And then after we talk about that question, I'll bring the proposition. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but because I have a lot of thoughts on it, I will let somebody else answer if they need to. Oh, <laughs> that's tough. That's super tough. Um, because, yeah, there is a lot of emotion there. And, of course, worship and praise music, like this, it's supposed to connect with you emotionally and spiritually. And it is tough, especially for someone like, for some, like I play bass and like the bass pumps out those like that thunder and people get goosebumps from it and they're like oh the holy spirit's here no it's (laughs) not like that's that doesn't mean that the holy spirit's here that's an (laughs) instrument um yeah i i feel like it it's all about self-reflection and it's like okay and a lot of like internal stuff where it's like okay is this do i believe this is this praise like it's all about your your levels first off it's all about your relationship with god so I think, Caleb, did you have anything on this? I have lots, but go ahead. Okay, well, we all have, we, let's just have a conversation about it then. Okay, so I think the delineation between it, one, I would say uh, you can't, no outsider can make that delineation. You cannot make that delineation for me. Right. No one else can make the delineation for me whether I'm worshiping or not. Or whether I'm, if I'm in a concert and getting emotional, um, that to me is, that is actually praise and worship of that singer or of that band. Ah. And so I think it's a, I think it's a, a false praise and worship or not a false one, I guess a, a misguided praise and worship of that band or of that song or of that person going back to our talk last week about idolatry. I think that's what it is. And if you want to uh, throw this in there, let's just go ahead and throw in the Christian slash worship music concert culture and say, is that worship of God or mm. is that worship of the band? When mm. I pay $150 for a seat plus 200 bucks for a VIP experience, oh yeah, is that for me to worship God or is that for me to show my adoration to the band? Now, supporting your favorite bands, I used to be in a band, not nearly big enough to get $200 for a VIP, but like you want people to support you, but you want them to do that for the right reasons, right? And not worshiping you. Um, so I would say that I think we can get it twisted in the fact that we can worship the create 
the um, the created rather right, than the right, creator. Right. Like we can worship the people who have been created to create versus the one who created them all together. And so, for instance, I'll give you a for instance and I'll turn it over to Caleb. I have had moments where I have shed a tear listening to someone sing, both in the church and outside of the church. And I can tell you that the people that I've heard the people that I've heard sing and shed a tear with inside the church, it hasn't been because their voice is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. It's because I can feel and I can, like, I can grasp where they're singing from, that it is a place of deep worship, of deep, like, I truly am convicted by these words and I fully believe it. And it convicts me in my soul. And I'm like, Ooh, shed a tear. And it's not because they're so good. It's because they've drawn me to worship. That would be a great worship leader. Then I've also shed a tear with people who are just singing. In fact, me and uh, me and Josh were listening to Chris Stapleton a while ago. Um, mm. At least I was listening to Chris Stapleton. Josh might have been making fun of me, but either way, he's the only country music it made it artist. Made on his Instagram too, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, I'm the only uh, like he's the only uh, he's the only country music artist I listen to because I classify him as Southern blues. Anyways, um, he has a song called "Sometimes I Cry." And he is, I have shed a tear listening to him sing that because his voice Would you and say the that music sometimes is unbelievable. You have cried sometimes when you have I cry when I listen to Sometimes I Cry <laughs> because his voice is incredible and his emotion is unbelievable. And at that point in time, it is his singing, Chris Stapleton, not about God, just about stuff in general. And I'm shedding a tear. And therefore, I'm just in awe of his musicality and his ability. But it ain't worship. I mean, you could, it's not worship. Right. Yeah, but it's not worship. Well, so a, a question that I have, and we have yet to answer it, and I think it kind of is important given everything we're talking about, is define worship. Right, we've talked, we've used that word a lot, and I, I have an idea, but I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Like, how do you define worship? I took a bunch of college courses on it, so I'm going <laughs> to let Josh <laughs> define it. Josh, <laughs> define Define worship. This I mean, it's just an act of <laughs> like just surrender. Mm, okay. You know, and that, and that can be in, and first off, let's, let's say this first. Worship is not just in music. Correct. You do not need a full band. And man, that's something that I've had to learn too. And that I don't, I didn't want to learn because I'm just like, I, I'm not an acoustic guy. I don't like acoustic music all that much. You should never come to my church then. <laughs> right. Right. It's All Caleb, I did was play Caleb the acoustic. Ch- right. <laughs> no, but it's me playing. Saves me. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have definitely had to learn that. And I, I know a lot of you probably need to learn that, that you do not need music to worship. Sometimes it is, and we said this in and, the last in episode. In fact, the 98% of your worship should have nothing to do with music. Right. Yeah, right. Rick. That's Warren. a random like number I threw out there, but a high note percentage of your worship should have yeah. nothing to do with music. I think it was Rick Warren who said that trusting God in the midst of suffering is the highest form of worship. Mm. Mm. Sure, we'll go with that. And um, yeah, I, maybe I think, not. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think, I'll have to I think, think that through. It's really I think hard. So because sorry, if you got, I was just thinking that the one of the best definitions for worship for me is Romans twelve one. Like Ooh, Romans 12, yeah. 1 and 2. Like we should offer our bodies as living, living sacrifices. sacrifices. holy and pleasing to God. This is yeah. our spiritual Boom. act of worship. Boom. Yep. Okay. This is our spiritual act of what worship. There you go. Like yeah. <laughs> that is the definition of worship in Romans 12, 1. Yep. And then in verse 2, it says, 
So don't conform to the patterns of this world. But be and, transformed by the be renewing of your mind. Yes. Oof. Like that is what worship is. Right. And again, that's what I said yesterday in service. As I said, worship is a transformative act. Something that transforms you into the likeness of Christ is worship. And that's why I was saying like, it's possible to not have that literacy when you first come into mm-hmm. a worship experience or a church service is because if it's transforming your heart, and you are sacrificing some things in that moment. Maybe it's pride. Just even in that moment, that is an act of worship. And it took no biblical literacy at all. Mm. But so, as you as you get hardened, essentially, by the world <laughs> or by uh, just life in general, it makes it harder and harder and harder to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah. And therefore, that's why you're, you need to have more understanding of who God really is over and over again. Because if you trust God in the sufferings, and that's the true act of worship, as Rick Warren says. Don't you have to know how good God actually is to be able to trust him when your life is falling apart? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have that. It, it comes with an understanding of the character and the goodness and the nature of God. Sorry. So I had a professor who said, this is what I think worship is, and I thought it was the most profound thing I've ever heard in my life. One of them. Um, so thank you, Dr. Lester Ruth. Um, he said, worship is cosmic child's play. Hmm. Worship is cosmic child's play. In that, um, it takes an imagination of a child at a cosmic level to believe that what we do, worship and prayer and everything that we do, is more than me just speaking words up into the ceiling when I pray. It takes an imagination to do that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That what we do on Sunday morning, we're not just, or on Tuesday night, we're not just sitting in a bunch of chairs on Pike Road and some, Pike Road? Is that where we are? West, West Pike. Pike. West Pike Road. <laughs> 2707. Um, at Summit Church, we're in the throne room of heaven, mm-hmm. right? Takes an imagination to believe that. In fact, so much so that Paul says, boy, aren't we great fools for believing everything that we believe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that when you worship, God actually hears that. That takes a lot of imagination, right? Which is why I think Jesus says like, you got to be like a child because children get this. It's easy for a child to say, oh, I understand what it's like to do this because it makes sense to them. They have such a great imagination, right? And everything that we do is part of that. Like when I worship on a Sunday morning, when I'm worshiping Tuesday nights, I'm not just sitting in a room singing songs with a guy standing up front. I, I am there in the midst of the throne room of God that's mentioned in Revelations among angels and saints and everything else, um, and that is worship, and it transforms me, right? My life isn't just 80 years-ish on a planet, on a rock. It's something that I have a spiritual life that is eternal, and it's not just what is physically in front of me, and it takes an imagination, right? We are great fools for believing that what we believe. It takes a great imagination— it is cosmic child's play, so to speak, to believe that we're going to come back from the dead. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I noticed this with you all's sanctuary. Um, there's this precedence, and I don't Auditorium. think... Auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> In don't your sanctuary, <laughs> um, you guys have really high lofted ceilings. Yes. Do you know why you have really high lofted ceilings? Because architecture in the t- early 2000s said a church should have high lofted ceilings. Nope. Architecture in the <laughs> 300s well, said you should have a high lofted right. ceilings. Here's why. Do you know why? Yeah. Why? Because when you would look in a town, like, what is the highest thing? So a lot of churches would have crosses on top. 
Uh, yeah, but that, that's, that's not more in for the, the sanctuary. Steeple. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. dome is, right. is a... So the reason that the if you go to Europe and you walk into any of their cathedrals and whatnot, and when I was at Duke, they have a like a cathedral right in the middle of campus and it's beautiful and the ceilings are like 100 feet in the air and it's wonderful, is that way back when, and we've kind of gotten away from this and it's really sad, they had high ceilings because they genuinely believed that the saints and the angels were there worshiping with them and they yeah. needed room. And are they not, right? If that's literally the throne room of God, is what we're doing is imitating what is happening in heaven, wouldn't the angels and saints be there? So whether you know it or not, the mm -hmm. reason why you guys have a high ceiling is because somewhere deep in the long history of the Christian church is because we believe the angels and saints are there. Why? Because it is the throne room of God. That's worship. Yeah. And it takes crazy amount of childlike imagination to believe that Everything I do is an imitation of what's happening in heaven. Why do we do communion? It's a remembrance of what Christ did, but it's also looking forward to what? The great yeah. banquet yeah. that we're going to have mm -hmm. in heaven. It takes a lot of imagination to think a little styrofoam wafer <laughs> underneath a pre-sealed plastic wrap with some foil over some grape juice points to that. Well, and that's why we worship too. That's why we worship when we gather together yeah. as well, because that's literally what will we what yeah. we will be doing. Like and it, we will and, be gathered around the throne. That singing, way of holy, thinking, holy, holy. like you said, transforms you. Right? Like you don't you don't experience the throne room of God without being transformed at all. Right? So okay, so here's the proposition, because this really ties in nicely. And really the there this isn't a question, so if you disagree with it, tell me why. And because I'm interested to know. Much of that, Caleb, has been lost because the worship music, the Christian music has been front loaded ahead of the biblical literacy ahead of the church history, all that stuff, the tradition. Okay, so the proposition is that most Christians are spending the majority of their time on Spotify today and not in their Bibles. And the consequence of that is that you come into Christian music with a preconceived misunderstanding of God and of church history, and those misunderstandings inform your taste in Christian music and mm -hmm. select for potentially... Uh, songs, you know, that match your misunderstandings or you deconstruct the song and throw out the parts that are, you know, are not aligned with your misunderstanding and keep the parts that you like. Do you agree with that proposition or do, or is it nonsense? Yes, I, I agree, but I want to say like, it's all about our methods. You know, a lot of the churches, they started with like, yeah, okay, so you got to think of all these different preachers and stuff, and we don't necessarily go on YouTube anymore to listen to preachers. We're always on Spotify. I do. Why? Okay, Caleb, get out of here. <laughs> Why? Caleb's also 50, by the way. He is. <laughs> I'm also, you know, purposely trying to make my craft of preaching better, and I know that right. there are a heck of a lot better preachers out there than me. So. so the reason that is is because our methods have changed because we want to get the message of Jesus out there as fast as we can, as far as we can, to as many people as we can. And what's the best way to do that? Music. And that's where the Christian music came in. So that's why people are, like, that's how they resort to God. Like, that's how they, they get their, air quote, they get their fill up from God is through worship music. And I think that we've done a bad job of putting Bibles in people's hands. And yeah, okay, you can go to any church now and be like, oh, we have a new gift for you. Come to our welcome center. We got some Bibles for you. Yeah, but we don't, like, we give them a Bible, but we don't teach them how to read it, and we don't walk with them through yeah. that. So, yeah, so a lot of people are going to Spotify and only relying on Spotify or Christian music or worship, whatever it may be, 
to have their relationship with God because they don't know any other way. So that's where that illiteracy comes in. Yeah, I would say too, um, I would agree with you that um, most, especially millennial to Gen Z Christians are spending more time on Spotify. Um, honestly, I, I, when I'm not listening to Chris Stapleton, uh, I have Spotify <laughs> worship on uh, pretty much all the time, like just different bands and stuff like that. And I'm actually doing it for different purposes. Most of the time I'm looking for new music to do or something fresh or whatever. To hone your craft. Um, yeah, to hone my craft. Um, I get it, Caleb. I, I, I watch Pastors. I know you do, yeah. So. I was going to say, I'm not the uh, only one. I, I know you watch so, YouTube videos um, of Pastors. So yeah, uh, to, to hone my craft, I understand it. But I also do use it as a just a um, reminding myself throughout the day of who I'm working for, what I'm actually doing. So it's like, it's white noise, but at the same time I can tune into it. Now, um, that being said, I have had many times in my life where I don't read the Bible in the morning, the afternoon, and I just listen to worship music. And I'm like, nah, that was good. That was, that was good enough. That was enough. Like, I'm good. I had a scripture in there, I guess, you know? So like, I know where that comes from in the scriptures. I can meditate on that. And I don't think that's enough, right? Like if I was to make a habit on that, it'd be like eating McDonald's French fries for every meal for the rest of my life. Like, are they good? Yes, they're good. They have some nutritional value, but they're going to kill me over time. Like, Do they have nutritional value? They're potatoes, man. That's a starch. They've at least... They've at least got carbs, which is some nutritional value. All right, fair enough, energy fair enough. And fat. They got plenty of fat. They anyway. Well, you need <laughs> salt. You also need salt. You do need salt. <laughs> yeah, you well, do. I'm sold. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so, um, yes. Healthy. Yes, I do. And let me go back to this, my original comment about we need better worship leaders. We also need better songwriters. And, um, you know, uh, I... I dabble in writing music and writing worship songs. And I'll be honest, there's been times, even me and Josh in the past uh, past month or so, when we if we're writing something, I'm like, man, I want to make sure that that is super biblically sound and that we can like point to a scripture where it comes from. Like I had this time when I, early on, when I was in my early twenties, when I was just rewriting Psalms and a funny thing, I didn't know about the churches that would just sing Psalms and I would just rewrite Psalms yeah, it's beautiful. and play them together or, and come up with some kind of melody that, you know, you're not going to see that in the scriptures. You know, I'm not yeah. playing with the lyre or anything like harp or nothing like that. Like I'm playing the guitar. So we should bring the lyre back. Just <laughs> yeah. throwing that out there. Or a piano or whatever. A so lute. like, yeah, alert. yeah. Um, I'll learn. So, um, what I what I have to say about that is that it is, and I'm I'm glad that the people at the top right now, the quote unquote top of Christianity, uh, worship and music and stuff, I think are coming back to this. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of those same people wrote those same songs that you talked about from 2009 to 15 and have realized, yeah, man, maybe they weren't, they weren't as rich as we thought they were. They were great to get people in the door, yeah. but they weren't theologically rich. And we need to have a call back to that. Well, and it was so like in 2017 or somewhere around there, both Hillsong and Elevation like had never read the Psalms before. And they finally opened up the Psalms and were like, Oh my gosh, this thing's a treasure trove. And it's yeah. like, why haven't we been using this? And it's like, I don't know. Why haven't you been using this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's so, so I think along with better worship leading, I think you need better songwriters and whether they're at the top of the game and they're getting published and they're on Spotify and they've got 23 million listens or they're from your local church and they're writing a song that is biblically rich and that draws your heart to worship. Yeah. Regardless, you need better songwriters well, who are pointing you to the word. We're seeing that. Yeah. We're seeing, and, and, and we, we talked about this. We've seen that, especially with Maverick City. If you want to talk about the top, 
Yeah. If we're being real, they're at the top well, right and now. They, they have most of their songs, I say, I would say, are very biblically rich. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Vi- but they also have an album, maybe an album or a half an album that is not as, but they also don't market right. it as a worship album. They just market it as an album. It's just a right. fun it's just right. a thing but, for us to do. But it's all coming back full circle, like we've said so many times, where they've, they're not a full band. Mm-hmm. You know, what do they have? So, okay, live, they have guitars and stuff, but yeah. on most of their albums, you'll have an acoustic guitar, you'll have a piano. an organ, a piano, and yeah. a bass, and some drums. Yeah, it comes full circle. They go back to uh, 1972. But they're, but <laughs> most of their songs are just rewrites of scripture, and of course, that's most wor- most mm-hmm. worship music, but it's coming back. Yeah, you know? I mean, they put words like gyra and jubilee in a gyra? song. Gyra! <laughs> gyra! Yeah, except for the thing with gyra. Love that song. Great song. Biblically sound. Please don't. Except it. for <laughs> Please don't the it. fact that they never say what gyra means. Again, okay, but it falls on the worship the leader. worship leaders. Yeah, but it so. was like you. It would have been so easy to change the chorus from "You are enough" to something like "God provides." Yes, they so could have done that, I, and they yes, didn't. But but artistically, come on, artistically, City. they also saying "You are enough." Is saying you've provided everything. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, and that's the worship pastor in you coming out. Yeah. Thank you, Kendall, for explaining <laughs> that. But I mean, they could have just easily said the Lord provides or well, something like that. You just ruined any chance that. <laughs> so Maverick, Maverick City, if you're listening, Wait, okay, I've got it, I've got it. Jira, the Lord provides. It doesn't yeah. work as well. No. Well, yeah, but you could have changed it. I mean, when they were rewriting, when they were writing it. Jira, Jira. The Lord provides. Well, we're, well, thanks, Caleb, because now Kendall and I are not joining Maverick City. Yeah, they're not going to love us after this. If, here's the thing: if you want, <laughs> never I, get a I chance. will gladly point out all of the flaws for most of the songs that we please sing don't, and the ways in which we need to be explaining them. Don't, so come talk to me. Go, goes to Crowder, <laughs> sloppy white kiss. I will say this. I will say this. Um, and it's something we referenced earlier, and it's something that I do want to kind of get back to. And Kendall brought it up when he talked about Romans one, and this is probably the most important thing we can say. Romans twelve one. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Yeah, Romans 1, not so much. Romans 12, 1, um, <laughs> very connected, uh, is even even in this podcast, we have spent 80% of the time talking about music. And I really want to hammer the fact home that it's not about music. Right. It's not about music. It is a little bit about music. You're you're really upset with me. No, I didn't. No, I just had I just had an amazing light bulb moment. Oh, so good. I want you Epiphany. To keep going. I'm glad. Right. So it's like even in your own life, like most of your life has nothing to do with music. You come home, you go to your family, you go to work, you go to school, you do whatever, and it's like music is a sidebar of what the rest of life is like, and it's something that brings beauty, and it should be the same thing with our Christian life. Like most of your life doesn't have anything to do with music, and most of your Christian life doesn't necessarily have anything to do with music. Music adds to it. Worship music adds to it, but most in the bulk of your worship should be happening when you're writing your paper in your dorm room. How are you going to make that into worship? When you're spending time with your family and playing with your kids, how are you making that worship? When you're going to work and you're stuck doing Excel documents on a computer, how are you making that worship? Mm -hmm. Like the bulk of your life is doing those things. It's not sitting in a room, an auditorium on a Sunday morning, singing (laughs) songs, right? Like that's like 1% of your week. So if only 1% of your week is musically, then we shouldn't be thinking of worship as just music. We should be thinking it as the other 99. I'm really excited for your epiphany. Go. Yes. So here's the reason why 
we are only in a golden age of music and not a golden age of worship. Look around the world and how transformed is it into the likeness of Christ? <laughs> look at look at the church and see how much more progressive, quote unquote, the church has gotten and is therefore walking away from the image of Christ. And I'm saying the large C church. And really, I mean, it's probably only about 20%, but that'd be enough. That's enough to walk away from what the image of Christ is. Look around our world and say, is our world being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Is the church, the people in the church, are the people in the church being renewed by the transforming of our minds? Or are we becoming, as the message translator paraphrase says, becoming so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking? That's Romans 12 too, by the way, from uh, the message paraphrase. Yeah. And so that's where I would say that is a 100% strikes one, two, and three of we are not yeah. in the golden age of worship. Well, and not only that, but the majority of people that go to church, and I, I mentioned this, I don't remember when I mentioned this, but the difference between someone who is a spiritual adult and a spiritual child is not so much whether they drink milk or eat meat, um, though that is part of it. It's whether they can feed themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the vast majority of people don't know how to feed themselves with worship. They come here expecting this mm-hmm. to feed them. Yes. In their forms of I worship. Would say, and therefore, I would, we have no idea what we're doing. Christianity today is like people walking around with a cup that says alms for the poor on it, and they're hoping for the pastor to fill it up. Mm. Or like, it's kind of like a concert where every once in a while you need to have your spirits lifted and you go to a concert mm-hmm. and you feel better and then you leave. Okay, so... which. Like, unfortunately, it's kind of what a Got lot of church Sunday mornings are worship like. Worship adrenaline junkies out there. Is yeah. the proliferation of like what John MacArthur would call 7-Eleven worship songs, like seven word choruses repeated 11 times. Uh, <laughs> I hate that. That's I Upper Room, it. by the way. If you uh, want to rag on some worship music, Upper Room. That, okay. Like, um, after I sent you that one. The other go day. ahead. <laughs> so like these, these oversimplistic songs that sacrificed theological richness for like a base level entry level sugar rush appeal. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that a response to the, to the people getting further away from Christ likeness or did the church start that, which caused people to go further away from Christ? likeness? so I think because, because I grew up, so just to give a little background, I grew up playing drums in the church. Like that's how I got my musical start was in the church. And I went from playing hymns that were the most boring thing in the world, little waltzes. If you know anything about music, three, four waltz, and then a two, four cut time. That's like all I ever played. And it was the most boring thing in the world. I didn't pay any attention to the songs. I could you know, I didn't care what they said. Also, and no then, one probably ever explained them to you. No, no one ever explained them to me. And then Hillsong United came out with their first album, and I was like, what is this? It's a Christian punk rock worship band, and I love it. Like, I want yeah. to play this music right here. And so I think what ended up happening was there was re- there was a response from the Gen X, the one right before Millennial, right? Gen X, yeah. So there was a response from Gen X that was, we want to move away from hymns and we see our young people not even being interested in church anymore. And we see our youth and our young adults that do not care whatsoever about what we're doing on a Sunday morning and they are completely checking out. What can we do to draw them in? I know, I've got it. Let's do cool music. Okay, cool music. Let's make it happen. 
And then the cool music got so important that we forgot about the theology, the deep theology and the rich theology. So it was this flytrap, so to speak, of let's get them sucked in real quick. And that was great. That was an awesome thing to do. And honestly, did it for me. Like that is something that as screwed up as I was as a high schooler, as screwed up as I am now, as screwed up as I was as a high schooler, and as far away from God as I really wanted to be, the thing that kept me in the church was playing that music on the drums and singing it and wanting to learn guitar. And it's the reason I'm here right now as a worship pastor. Um, That being said, though, there is so much uh, lack of theology, uh, you know, no depth whatsoever in most of their songs and most of that stuff, not just Hillsong United. I'm just saying in general, right? Um, like delirious comes to mind, uh, like the newsboys or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff. That's like, ah, it made me feel good. It got me through a tough time, quote unquote, but I don't know that it drew me to the heart of God. Yeah. And so I think that it's more of, it was a response way long ago, 20, 25 years ago, really to say, we need something new. We need something fresh. Let's do that. And then we do that so well that we pull ourselves away from what we actually were trying to do. And now you see the same musicians and bands who were on the cutting edge 25 years ago with that kind of music are now coming full circle and saying, we've got to point people back to the word right. a lot better. And you're seeing that in the way that they write their music. And the theology is finally caught up to, like it was getting drugged behind the music itself. And now I think it's finally caught up to kind of what was happening with Mm. that okay so let's leave everyone with like a roadmap um let's start back in 1960s because that's when praise and worship started (laughs) (laughs) actually i lied let's say philippians let's say there's 58 ad (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be here for a while Um, i'll give you the whole history Uh, let's, let's say that the people listening to this are like, well, now nah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to listen to. Um, I thought what I was listening to was worship Christian music. Now I'm not so sure. So tell me, uh, who are some examples of famous worship leaders who are doing it the right way right now, in your opinion, and who are some that are doing it incorrectly? Okay, I want to underline and italicize and bold in your opinion, because we cannot see the heart. And so if we endorse someone here, I don't want them five years yeah. later from now to like absolutely <laughs> just yeah. fall flat on their face and be like, I'm, you endorse them. I'll say this. I'm less concerned about endorsing people. And what I would prefer to do is get you to it. Like the better question is how do we train you yourself to recognize what good and what bad worship is? Mm-hmm. That's the far yeah. more important thing. Right? So it's like, for example, uh, Maverick city does a lot of great stuff. The vast majority of their music I think is really great mm-hmm. um and i think they're on the right track but even they don't have everything that's great right and so for me to just say maverick city great which for the record i would say right now maverick city is a safe bet yeah um but that doesn't mean for all time in all places that maverick city is going to be that way and it is far better for you to know and be able to discern because christianity is all about discernment discern what is good and what is not mm-hmm. so when it comes to discernment sometimes you can infer the pattern from a set of examples so if you have a set of what you would call good examples you could say what do all of these examples have in common and that gives me a tool or something i can grab onto to recognize good worship so that's that's why well I and that's why i said the good worship in the very beginning the twofold thing that i said was it's biblically sound which requires you to go open your bibles and figure out what's in there and musically good right and right now The one that I will say, in my opinion, does that fairly well. Maverick City does that very well. Elevation, I would say 60% of the time does that well right now. Um, So if you're looking for a 60% of the time (laughs) safe bet, 
elevation for me would be that. What about a 55? <laughs> 55. I, I like to live dangerously. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm 51% good. <laughs> well, so here's something that you can do. Uh, you can go onto Spotify right now and you can just type in like Christian playlists and there'll be a million playlists that you can go find. Um, that people have compiled mm -hmm. of the top songs right now. And what you should do, instead of me just telling you what is good and what is not, is you should go put on that playlist and then open your Bible. Yeah. And have them going at the so, same time and try uh, to figure yeah. out what's happening. I'll give you a playlist right now. Uh, it's called United Worship Playlist. Uh, Boom. So, like, we actually do one from United. If you search at United IUP on uh on Spotify. Spotify, we have three different playlists, and one of them is a worship playlist that we do have that we... There are songs that we sing that we have vetted in some way. Um, yeah. And uh, if you need explanation on them, we can give it to you. Usually but, you get it on Tuesday nights. Yeah, but so. usually you get it on Tuesday nights. And I would go back. Caleb, you brought up a great point. Like, both of y'all are correct. You have to have the, um, you have to have the example. And then you kind of learn from the examples that are good. Um, but you also need to have the biblical example and understanding is what they are saying biblical. Yeah. So for instance, one of the, one of the uh, bands that I love to listen to that I do not believe that Caleb loves to listen to unless he's hasn't just hasn't told me is Mosaic MSC. Oh, I like Mosaic. And so they're really good, but I would say a King lot of, of their, yes, I would Great say song. a lot of their music though. They're the ones who sing you. It's only you. A lot of their music can be amb ambiguous. Yes. A lot of it can be. And it's because of where they're at. They're in LA and they're reaching some super unchurched people. Oh yeah. And they, totally they get it. on purpose don't make anything that they do churchy ever, not right. even close to it. They want to, they want to have the relationship close. Right. And then we're going to introduce the gospel in a different way. Um, but the reason why I personally am like, oh, this stuff is so good. It's so good is because for the most part, I know my Bible. Yeah, well, that's and why so I like I have, them. I know exactly yeah, what they're so referencing. Yeah, so I have a very rich understanding of what they're referencing. And um, like one of the songs we sing here that's of them as well is You Never Fail All My Life. You never fail me all my life. Okay, that song, right? <laughs> when I'm Surrounded. <laughs> yes, that song, okay? Because that song is biblically rich. Yeah. But once you know the illusions. Once you know the illusions. But, but in the verse, like... The verse could be saying could be sung about a romantic interest yep. for sure, okay. But that's the reason why they do that. That's the reason I would uh, I would say they're good. But I under have an understanding of the Bible. And anytime Kendall gets up to sing that song, and in fact, so far every time we have sung it, he has given a kind of interim introduction to the song to say like, this is what the song is about, right? And that's what good worship leading is. It's like when we know that the song is already like potentially ambiguous or if we know that the illusions might not make sense to people even if they're pretty you know word for word right out of the bible it's like that's why you need worship leaders to say like this is what the song is about this is how it connects to the worship experience this is how it connects to your individual lives right and so even if it is ambiguous mm -hmm. like that song as long as you have someone there to say this is what this is about which is what pastors do all the time <clears throat> right we do it with the bible Bible doesn't always make sense. Part of the pastor's job is to get up and say, mm -hmm. this is how this makes sense to you in your life, right? We do that. We understand that. Yeah. It's just we have kind of forgotten that in regards to worship a lot of times. Let me, the music. Let me say this, uh, and I know we're running short on time, so we got to finish this, but this made me think about the book of Esther, okay? Oh. Um, Never once mentions God. Fun fact. 
The only wor- book in the Bible that never mentions God. So the book of Esther never mentions God. That's actually what I was going to say. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I stole your thunder. I just love the book of Esther. That is it's... the epitome of stealing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did you realize that was what you made the thunder sound on the table? Oh my gosh, dude. So <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. He can just cut that out. <laughs> yeah. I even okay. have a good place to cut it, too, because yeah, he smacked I gave the table. You... <laughs> okay. So Esther, the so book sorry. of Esther, I'm if so you didn't sorry. know. I just got really excited. <laughs> if you didn't know, never mentions the name of God. Really? Ever. Yeah, yeah, not once. <laughs> so never mentions God. But the reason why is the way that it was written. It was written to the Israelite people who would have an understanding that these happenings that are going on within yeah. the story can only be happening if God's God. hand yep. is on it. Yep. And. The reason why is because they had an understanding of God's character. Yep. It was passed down from generation to generation, and yep. they didn't need all the context for them to say God. And so that's what it made me think about with these songs. If you have a greater context of the character of mm-hmm. God and the nature of God because of his word, um, then you will be able to interpret it pretty stinking easy. Man, Kendall, that's beautiful. If it's good or not. I'm so happy right you. now. <laughs> I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but I'm so happy. When you said Esther, I immediately knew what you were talking about. Yeah. And I was so excited. Yeah. Uh, if you think you enjoy worship music now, uh, get yourself immersed in the scripture and you'll get so much more out of it. Oh, yeah. And, I get uh, anytime we play a song and I'm like, that's yeah. in the scripture. I get like elated. I mean, well, you, you heard how excited Caleb got about Esther. Yeah. Imagine, yeah. imagine uh, you know, your next worship song comes up and Esther (laughs) you should we should I've never once heard a song for the king never once heard a song out of Esther (laughs) sorry go ahead so so to quickly give my answer on that um which was like 30 minutes ago (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) just blame it on Caleb it it was my fault it was and the thunderous clap can that be the title thunderous clap yeah Yeah. Mm. or stolen thunder Ah, i like that stolen thunder which makes sense because we steal the thunder from god all the time Ah, in our worship okay josh 35 minutes later 35 minutes later okay so who would i endorse for worship leaders um okay so i do listen to a lot of hillsong i listen to elevation maverick city there's this guy at summit church that maybe no i'm just kidding go ahead (laughs) There's this guy at Climber United Methodist Church who only plays the Go acoustic ahead. guitar. That one. I'm not going to steal anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> Kale's about to steal everything I say in a second. Um, however, I think, and it goes back to um, how literate you are in the scripture, I don't necessarily want to endorse anyone for you because basically if you're hearing them, like I like, they're big for a reason. Do you know what I mean? But also it goes back to, and we've, we've said this all throughout this entire podcast is, do you understand? Like, are you keeping the main thing, the main thing? So like, yeah, the book of Esther doesn't, doesn't say or reference God, but because of the context they have, they already know that. So I could go listen to a torn well song that doesn't exactly mention Jesus, but I know because of the context that I personally have, I am able to use that to worship God. And when we pick songs for United or when actually when we just listen to them and have to play them for whatever, something that we do and we keep a habit of is when we go and look up the chords online, we look up the scripture as well. So I'm going to endorse endorse Worship Together. And that's a website that you can go and find your chords, find your lyrics. But it says on there, the scripture reference. And that is a beautiful resource that even if you're not a musician, go to worship together because every song that is on there, there is a scripture reference. And man, if you're going to worship to a song, if you're going to worship, you know, because of this song, 
then know why you're worshiping it. You should know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So getting getting context from scripture is of the utmost importance and only slightly less important is that you rate and review this podcast. So go ahead, wherever you're listening to it, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate, review, share. That was and, uh, I like that. And uh, come out to United. You can uh, find all the information you need at unitediup.com. Thank you so much for listening to the ULOF podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Don't eat any seals for Thanksgiving. Enjoy your turkey. Bye. Bye. See you. Thanks for listening to the ULOF podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live United.